0: Good day to you and welcome to the NPFCC Messages podcast. We're glad to have you back. Or if you're listening for the first time, thank you for checking us out. This week's podcast is a message from our series through the book of First Timothy. Throughout the series, we're going to examine just how critical the message of the gospel is for the church. And while this may seem obvious to some, the truth is it's easy to get distracted by the noise and the trends of this world and forget what's most important. So these messages aim to draw us towards keeping the gospel first in our lives and in the church. So be blessed as you listen to this word.
1: Well, it is great to have you guys with us this morning. Lots is happening, and we're super excited about what God is doing. Um, and, and so this morning, um, if you're here with us online or here with us in person, if you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of First Timothy, um, chapter 6. That's where we'll spend our time. Um there's always Bibles available on the sides. Um, if if you would like um, uh, some notes, you might want to take some notes this morning on some stuff. Um, they handed them out on your way in. Um, feel free to jump up and get those if you need them, because I think there's some things in there that you'll want to take with you uh, today. Um, over the last six weeks here, we have been working our way through the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. And I call it a letter because that's exactly what it was. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his young mentee apprentice named Timothy, who had been sent to pastor a church in the ancient city of Ephesus back around in the first century, right as the church was beginning. Ephesus was a prominent port city. It was on the trade routes between Rome in the West and, and all the eastern parts of the Roman Empire. And because of that, it was a very wealthy city. It, it, was, a, it was also a place, though, that where it was a very pagan city. You can think Las Vegas, right? And what happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. And as he's wrapping up this letter, and we're, we're going to take the next couple weeks to wrap this up, but as he's wrapping up this letter he gives Timothy some very specific instructions. And Paul writes these three verses that that I believe they just echo through the halls of time and speak to us today because of what they say. And and so we're gonna spend the next few weeks unpacking these three verses. And and so what what we've been doing, we've been reading through the whole book of 1 Timothy, and let me tell you, 1 Timothy has been kicking my rear. I can say that in, okay, my my mom's here today. I can say that in church, okay. Um, It's just been kicking my rear because, man, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there about how we do life as God's people. And a lot of things that I need to be reminded of. And I think things that we always need to be reminded of. And so what we've been doing is we've been reading this every week. And so because it is God's word and we honor it, I'm going to ask you to just stand with me. We're going to read three short verses and, uh, and then you can sit again. We just do this because the word of God is powerful and we, uh, we wanna honor it. So um, here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter six, it starts in verse 17 and it says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And he goes on, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Man, there is some powerful stuff in there. Do you want to take hold of the life that's truly life this morning? All right, then we just have to pay attention to what Paul has commanded. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, we we ask your Holy Spirit to come and to help us understand it in ways that will um, make it possible for us to live this out. Father, forgive us where we fall short, challenge us where we need to be challenged, and comfort us where we need to be comforted. Father, and help us in all things to trust you. We love you, Lord, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Most of us, have some degree of anxiety when it comes to finances. Is that is that pretty accurate? How many of you have at least some degree of anxiety when it comes to finances? It's okay, you're safe in here, right? Yeah, we, we all we all do. We have a, a little bit of anxiety when it comes to this whole idea of finances. And while we live in the wealthiest nation on earth, we also have the greatest amount of debt both individually and as a nation. And we all see that national debt just keep I mean, that thing goes faster than, I mean, anything else I've seen, right? It just keeps racking up and racking up. And all of us know that that's not right, right? There's something inside of us that goes, yeah, this just isn't right. We, we can't live well this way. And and God doesn't intend for us to live that way. And, and so we have this anxiety, especially because of the fact that we consistently, as a people, we live beyond our means and we worry about our financial future. But this is not at all what God wants for us. He wants us to live free from anxieties of any type. He wants us to live free from debt, free from fear, free in every area of life, including in this area of finances. And I know some of you may be here for the first time or you're just visiting today and you're like, Oh, man, I picked a doozy of a day to, to come. Well, hey, I'll just say you didn't come in week two or three, okay? Those were, those were even tougher. So. Um, but here's the reality, is that God wants more for us in the area of finances. And I'm not talking like just amounts. He wants us to be free from the anxieties and fears and all of those things. So we want to dive into this and see what Paul has to say and, and understand how we can live this out and experience this life that God has to offer us. So in 1 Timothy 1.17, the very first word, it says, command. Right? Just right off the bat, the first word is command. And um, we don't really like that. I think it should be up on the screen there. Just the first word, command. And we don't like the word command. We, we, as Americans, we do not like to be told what to do, do we? And we definitely don't like to be commanded. I mean, that that just doesn't that word just sound like it puts it to a whole nother level? It's not just, hey, do this, it's like command. Like how many of you command your children? Right? And how many of you does that go really well? (laughs) Right? Because from an early age, we are just taught from an early age, like to push back on anything that we're commanded to do. We just don't like that. And especially when it comes to our money. Now, some of you may be sitting here this morning and say, like, well, what does following Jesus, what does being a Christian have to do with money? And we, we're, we're always told, hey, don't, don't talk about that stuff. That's a private thing. Well, well I'm glad that you asked the question, <laughs> because throughout the Bible, there's a whole lot of things that we learn from the Bible. You, you know, in the Bible, there's, there's about 500, just a little over 500 verses that talk about prayer. The importance of prayer. I don't think anybody in the room is going to deny that prayer is an important thing that we should. You should probably do that. I know some of you are here this morning specifically to pray, and, and, and it tells us that God's house is a house of prayer, and, and prayer is powerful and effective. Again, I want to invite any of you on Wednesdays and Fridays at five p.m. to come back. We meet in that corner back there, and we get this place prayed for. And if you have a need, if you have something that you're working through, come and pray. We, prayer is powerful. Prayer is important. None of us would deny that. But then there's about 650 verses or so that that have to do with the importance of Scripture, right? God's Word, the Bible, um, and and how important that is for our life and our faith and our growth. And I don't think anybody in the room this morning would, would doubt the importance of God's Word when it comes to helping us grow in our faith. And while there's Five hundred or so verses on prayer, six hundred and fifty or so verses on Scripture. There are two thousand verses in the Bible that speak directly to money. Does that surprise anybody? I mean, Jesus taught a lot on it, and there's some people that say, "Oh, the church just always teaches, is always talking about money, and the church just wants." And I say, "No, look, we we actually talk about it probably less than Jesus did." And I'll I'll, I'll admit as a pastor, it's mostly because of the anxiety on the part of people like me who are like, I just don't really like talking about it. But then when I stop and I realize that most of us live with anxiety about it, that most of us struggle with it, then my role as a pastor, I've always said this, my job here is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And, and, And so part of the reason is that I, I want us to learn how to live with the freedom that God wants for us. And in this area specifically, because as you look around our country, we're a mess when it comes to finances. And here again is another way that we, as people who follow Jesus, can get it right by doing it God's way instead of the world's way. And we can experience freedom and peace and joy in that. That's what God wants for you. And so that's why this is so important. I honestly think, like, why, did, why are there so many verses in the Bible about money? I believe it's because God knew that money would be the number one competitor for your heart. And, and if you look at your life and you look at all the things going on, you would have to admit that money is the number one competitor in your heart for the place that God really wants to occupy. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said this. He says, no one can serve two masters. You either will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I would, I would suggest from just what I've observed that there's a lot of us, maybe a lot of us sitting in the room, that we're trying to do what the Bible says you can't do. That we're trying to serve both God and money. That we're trying to help them coexist in some way. And and let me tell you, unless finances become subservient to the Lordship of Christ, you will always struggle. And you will always have anxiety. And if you want freedom, then you need to make sure that you love God and hate money. When I was a little kid, um, I, I heard the pastor preaching on this. And I was just learning about, like, money, right? I, I, w- I would get my allowance. I'll, I'll tell you more stories about this in the next couple weeks. I was getting my allowance and I would get a dollar a week for taking out the trash and helping mow the lawn and doing all these things. A buck! Like, I was getting a buck a week. And my mom, though, would give me ten dimes And and so that I could learn how to handle my money and I had to save 10%, right? One dime goes in the savings jar and then one dime goes in the God's jar because he gets 10% and then the rest I could do whatever I want with and I was learning all about money and I go to church and the pastor pulls this verse out and he says, hey, you're gonna either love God and hate money or you're gonna, you know, And and I looked up at my dad and I said, dad, I said, man, I said, so let me get this straight. If If I love money, then it says that I will hate God? And my dad says, yeah, that's, that's what it says. And I said, I just looked at my dad and I said, then I'm going to hate money. And my dad just looked back at me and he said, good luck with that. Because <laughs> we all struggle. We, we, we all have to wrestle this down. And that's why we're spending time on this, because I think if we wrestle this down well, we can get it right. You see, Jesus... You use strong words here where he says, you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one or despise the other. There's no middle ground there. And you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus when money has its hooks in you. Last week, we read that the love of money is the roots of all kinds of evil. You see, you just can't, you can't love money and love God simultaneously. So can I ask you something this morning? Which one is winning the competition for your heart? God or money? Which do you spend more time thinking about? Which would bother you the most if you lost it? God knew that money was going to be a fierce competitor for your heart, and that's why he uses this word command command. It's not a request or a suggestion. This is a command of God. He says, when it comes to money, you will either do it your way, the world's way, right? Or you'll do it God's way. You can either invite him into your financial decisions now, or I guarantee you, you will be on your knees begging him to get involved in your finances later. So you need to pick which it's going to be. So there's three realities I quickly want to go through this morning that I think we need to wrestle with in order to invite God in to our finances so that we can experience the kind of life that is truly life and the peace that he wants to give in this area of our lives. And we're doing this because we want you to be at peace when the rest of the world is going crazy. Because we, when we follow Jesus, we do life differently. And when we trust him, we have peace. When the rest of the world is struggling through fear. And so here, here's the three, here's the three realities. Number, reality number one is I need to recognize I am rich. Right? I gotta, uh, it says command those, this is back in first Timothy again, command those who are rich in this present world. That's all we're gonna deal with today. Okay? This'll be an easy one and then we'll, we'll unpack the rest of it next week. Command those who are rich in this present world. And I'm thinking about, okay, if this is this present world, who's rich? We are. I mean, I mean all, of, all of us are rich. I, you, I, I, I know that many of you in the room don't feel it, but, but we are. Um, back, back in 1979, my family moved from Orange County, uh, California, uh, where our house was, I mean, literally three miles. I looked it up online to make sure. Three miles from Knott's Berry Farm five miles from Disneyland, and about eight miles from Huntington Beach Pier. It was the proverbial perfect place to live as a child, right? But because my dad was working out here and driving all the way from Anaheim every day out here, our, our family relocated here to Newberry Park. And we, and we built a house um, here, um, and, and one of my close friends from Anaheim, he came out to visit uh, us. And and I showed him my, my new bedroom, and then we went out in the backyard, and, and I showed him our new swimming pool, and the amazing view that we had from this house. And my friend, he looks at me, and I still remember this, he looks at me and he goes, dude, I didn't know you guys were rich. And there was something inside of me that said, I didn't know we were rich either. See, most people, when I would hesitate to call themselves rich. If I looked at you and just said, are you rich? You'd, go, you'd be like, oh, no, I'm not really rich, right? The reason for that is this, is because most of us see ourselves in comparison to other people, and we know people who are richer than we are. And so because of that, we don't think we're rich. The other people are rich, right? Because other people have more stuff and bigger houses and bigger paychecks and all those other things. So uh, the, the other, that other guy is rich, not, not, not us. I mean, rich is a moving target. Back um, a few years ago, Money Magazine um, did a survey, and they asked people to define what rich looked like. And people who made $50,000 a year, they asked them, they said, well, what would it take for you to feel rich? And they said, $100,000. People who made $100,000 a year, they said, well, what would it take for you to feel rich? And they said, oh, about $250,000. People who made $250,000, they asked them, what would it take for you to feel rich? And they said, oh, if I made about a million a year, see how it went up quickly? And then the people who were making a million dollars a year, they asked them, like, and a lot of them were even saying, didn't think they were rich, and they said, well, what would it take for you to feel rich? And they said, oh, you know, somewhere upwards of $5 million or so. Isn't it interesting that the more you make, the more rich is elusive? In Ecclesiastes, this is what what makes the Bible so true. Because we see it working out in in the world. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Mmm. That's most of us, right? Never satisfied. Some may say rich is not just an amount, but rich is an attitude. And it's having enough. Some people say, oh, it's having enough resources so you don't have to worry about paying for just whatever you want. But today, with the help of technology, we can kind of discover where we stand in relationship to the rest of the world. I, I did some research on this. I had to update a lot of numbers because I did this years ago, and some of you may remember some of this from, from you know, several years back, But um, but... Uh, there's a, a new website out it's called how rich am i um dot .givingwhatwecan.org okay i think it's on the little handout thing um and and it tells us this that the median okay ch- check this out the, the median personal income annual personal income in the world okay the median 50% range is $4900 a year right which equals about $13 per day. I, I, I know people who spend more than $13 a day on coffee. <laughs> I didn't mean to call anybody out, okay, but <laughs> just saying. Um, if, if you move up to $14,000, you're in the top 25% uh, wage earners in the world. If you move up to $32,000 a year, you're in the top 10%, which is the $15 per hour, which is like, you know, minimum wage stuff these days, right? So minimum wage in the United States puts you in the top 10% in the world. So at the minimum, living in the U.S., you're in the top 10%. Now, if you bump it up to $50,000, you're in the top 5%. If you bump it up to 74,000, you might say, Why'd you pick 74? Because um, according to the, um, to the last census data, um, 74,000 is about the median US inco- household income. Okay? And if you have that, if you're, if, if you're average in America, you're in the top 2% in the world. If you live in a household that makes $100,000 or more annual household income you're in the top 1% in the world but if you go and you look at the chamber of commerce if you go and you look at all the census data and everything and you pump in that your zip code is 91320 then the average person and actually here in the cano valley is ha, household income is 160,000 it's actually just north of that which puts us in the top 0.08% of wage earners in the world. So even if you don't feel it, right, even if you're you bringing a minimum wage, in terms of the rest of the world, we're all rich. And it's just a reality that we have to understand. And, and believe me, I, I mean, this, this is just helpful for us to know. And if you're still not sure that you're rich, I want you to imagine for a minute Having a conversation or explaining your financial anxieties to someone like one of our pastor friends in Cambodia or Liberia. When you say, oh my gosh, the market is down and my 401k is not doing well. And the Cambodian pastor looks at you and goes, what's a 401k? Or when you say, oh man, the brakes on my car went out and I had to to spend a bunch of extra money to go get my car fixed. And the Liberian pastor looks at you and says, you have a car? Man, you must be rich. Or when you say, man, my water bill has doubled this year. And the Liberian pastor goes, you, you mean you don't have to go carry your water? See, we, we have rich people problems. And, and so we just have to accept the fact. When, when we hear this, most of us feel a little bit uneasy. We get a little defensive even. You'll, you'll even start figuring out. I, I know because I, I've, I've shared this with enough people. Some of you in the room are even like, yeah, but things don't cost as much over there and all this other stuff. And they're, you know, they don't need as much. And you're going to try to justify things, right? Why? Because you don't want to feel guilty about being rich, but here's the deal, okay? I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't think God wants you to feel guilty. Convicted, maybe, but not guilty because guilt is never a good motivator for anything. If we feel guilty, we'll just start looking for ways to justify and suppress that and push it aside. In fact, we'll get annoyed with it and we'll just keep on doing what we're doing. I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to feel grateful it's okay it's okay to feel grateful that we somehow in the grand scheme of what happens in this world you and i got picked to live here this time and place and to have what we have And i want you to feel grateful because great things incredible things flow out of hearts that are grateful There's a lot of voices around the world today that are telling you how to get rich. You can go to the bookstores. There still are some of those around. Or you can go on podcasts and everything else, and you can find lots of voices telling you how to get rich. But there are very few people that are are helping you be good at being rich. Because most of us don't need to keep getting rich. We just need to learn how to be good at being rich. And Jesus knew that being rich would not be easy, which is reality number two. Being rich is hard. And maybe not for the ways you think it is, but being rich is hard. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to 24, it says this. Just then a man came up to Jesus and he asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And then Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your mother and father, and love your neighbor as yourself. The guy says, all of these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, Go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, here, catch this part. He says, truly I tell you, it is hard. Everybody say hard. hard. It is hard. If you're filling out your blanks on your sheet, fill it out. It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm glad he said hard and not impossible, right? But it means we're going to have to get to work. And then he goes on, he says, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone to, who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So let's unpack that just a little bit. The first thing we discover is the man approaches Jesus and he wants something. He realized, this guy has everything. He says he's very wealthy, and he's been keeping the commandments, but he wants something. He knows there's something missing. And, and, and I run into people who are very wealthy all the time, and they know something's missing. They know that wealth doesn't have all the answers. And the same is true in this guy's life. And so he comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what, what, what should I do? Like, what do I do to inherit eternal life? What he knows is this. He's got lots of stuff, right? He's been, he's been doing lots of things, but he doesn't know that he has eternal life. And maybe you're here this morning, and that's where you're at. We've already established the fact that we're probably rich, that, that we've been doing lots of stuff, that we kind of like this idea of who Jesus is, but, but we don't know. Like, do I know I have eternal life? We want you to know that you can be sure about that this morning. And, and so he, he comes to Jesus looking for something, and then Jesus asks him, we, at first he says, why, why do you call me good? And then he says, there's only one who is good. Jewish tradition said that God alone was good. okay that all goodness came from who God is. It's just part of God's character. And so he looks at the guy, and, and if you follow this really carefully, Jesus looks at the guy and he says, so you're saying you think I'm God, which is true. And then listen to Jesus' response. He says, if you want to be perfect, interesting word choice, perfect. If you want to be perfect, it's a word telos, which basically in the Greek means complete. If you want your life to be complete, like you may have lots of wealth, you may have lots of stuff, you may have all these different things, but if you want completeness, fulfillment, wholeness in your life, if you want to be perfect, then Jesus says, then if you want to find true meaning, he says, then all that stuff, it's just weighing you down, get rid of it. Lay that stuff aside and follow me. But yet the young man goes away sad. And it says, truly, it is hard. We will have to make some hard decisions if we're going to follow Jesus and really do well with our finances. It's hard. Jesus knows that once wealth gets its hooks in us, it's hard to let go of our stuff. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. Then Jesus says, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle. Then, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, we've all kind of heard that before. I, I, I've heard a lot of different people talk about what that means. Um, and, and some people say, oh, you know, there was a gate in the wall of Jerusalem, and in order for the camels to get through, you know, they had to get on their knees, which was a sign of humility. As long as you humble yourself, you know, then you're going to be okay. Like, right? Again, we try to work this all stuff in our, in our heads. I did a little research on camels. You can find everything online. <laughs> if a camel gets on his knees, he can't move. So that one's out, <laughs> right? That's, that's a bad explanation. But what it does mean is this, okay? Is that in order for that camel to get through that small little place, they had to take all the stuff off so he could get through. There's a lot that we've got to set aside, a lot that we've got to take up. There's a lot of hard decisions we're going to have to make if we're going to learn to do this well. And, and so, um, there, there's, so Jesus goes on where this guy says, come and follow me, but he goes away sad. And, and so w- here's the thing. I think so far too often we try to figure out how we can hold on to our stuff and still serve Jesus. If I can just get humble enough, maybe I can make it work. But the reality is is Jesus is calling us to a much deeper devotion than that where we will have to set some of our stuff aside and truly follow him. In order to really follow Jesus, we're going to have to say no to other things, and it's not going to be easy. They won't be simple decisions, but they will be good decisions. Folks, it's hard to follow Jesus while dealing with the complexities of a crazy world that is trying to tell us how to get wealthy. It won't come easy, it won't come natural. It will take a lot of work and faith on our part to live a fully surrendered life to Jesus, but it is worth it. It is worth it to not live with that kind of anxiety and that kind of constant worry about finances. So here's a couple phrases that you're gonna hear us say over and over again over the next couple weeks is this. Is that we want you, in order to make this work, we want you to have a plan So that you can live on purpose. Okay? Um, That's in your notes too. Um, You need to have a plan so that you can live on purpose. A lot of people, when it comes to money, they don't have a plan at all, right? It's just like whatever they spend, whatever they make, they spend. But, you know, there's not really a whole lot of plan. And some of you are great at planning, some of you have people who plan for you, right? But it's important to have a plan so that we can live on purpose. Right, and we, and so the question again that you'll have to wrestle down is, what is your purpose? Right, is your purpose to accumulate stuff? Is your is your purpose? You know, there's a lot of people that I'm meeting, especially now that I'm getting lots of mail from AARP, which I hate. (laughs) But, but because of that, there's all the I'm meeting lots of people who their biggest plan is, how can I make sure I have enough for later? Right, and I'm like. It's kind of a sad thing because it's like, I'm planning towards like my demise. (laughs) And and again, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a plan, you should have a plan so you can live on purpose, okay? Not just so that we can get to the finish line, right? So that you can die with lots of stuff, right? Always remember, you've never seen a a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. The second thing is this. We want you to learn to live with margin so that you can live on mission. Live with margin. That that means that you aren't totally tapped out. And and I believe that God has a recipe for how you do this. That you live with margin. You live with space. You live where you're not just always accumulating debt and where you have some funds that are set aside so that you can live on mission. Because here's what I got to tell you. Living on mission is a great adventure. With a God who wants to involve you and me in his process of rescuing a lost and dying world. He wants to involve you in it, but there's a lot of times when most of us, we can't involve, get involved in the ways that we want because we're totally tapped out and totally worried, totally anxious about everything else in life, including our money. And so we can't get involved in what God is doing. And I want you to experience the joy of like, wow, what could, what could, you, what could it feel like if you had peace and you had margin so you can live with God on mission? It's exhilarating. And, and I, that's what I want for all of us is to learn how to do that. And and so we'll be talking about some of those things over the next couple weeks. But that gets us to to reality number three, okay? I'm gonna switch real quick. Reality number three is this, is it is God who makes you rich. And I know there's some people in the room that are pushing back on that already going, like wait a minute, I put in the hours, I work hard, I do all this stuff, like I made me rich, right? And then I go, oopsie, you said you're rich. But the reality is, is the Bible tells us that it's God who makes us rich. And one of the reasons that we struggle in finance is because we think we make us rich. And if I want more, I just work harder. And what does that do for all your relationships and everything else, right? Listen to, God warning, warning, listen to the warning that God gave his people. Um, again, back in Deuteronomy where we read earlier when we were dedicating the children, God is preparing his people at this point in history to enter the promised land, okay? The land flowing with milk and honey. The land where everything is provided for them, right? I mean, this is a good land. It's like, it's this great place that God has prepared for them. I I think I would fast forward and say, man, I think we're living in a land of milk and honey. Some of us just don't realize it. But, But God says, hey, now as you're getting ready, to go in and get all this good stuff that I have provided for you, Listen listen to what God tells his people. He says, first, he says in verse six of Deuteronomy chapter eight, he says, observe the commands of the Lord your God by walking in obedience to him and revering him. No problem so far, right? Yes, follow the commands. Oh, by the way, that rich young ruler guy did that. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. Why do you say that? They're just coming out of the desert. Right? So it's like, okay, now I'm going to take you to a place that got streams and rivers. A lot. You can drink the water over there. He says, a land with wheat and barley, vines and figs and trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey. A land where the, where bread will not be scarce and where you will lack nothing. I mean, that's amazing, Right? a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the Lord your God, I'm sorry, for the good land that he has given you. Be careful. Now here's where it gets really important, I think, and this speaks directly to us. Be careful. Everybody say be careful. careful. Just making sure you're paying attention. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, now hear this, otherwise when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when you have herds and flocks and grow, and, and, and your flocks grow large and you have silver and gold increases and you have, and, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Now listen to verse 17. It says, You may say to yourself, My power. And the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget that the the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord, the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Man, don't forget where it comes from. The minute that we put ourselves in that place and say, oh, this all comes from me, whose place are you taking? Yeah, God's place. But we have to remember that it all comes from him. King David repeats this in a different way in a song in 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 13. He says, praise be to you, O Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Now listen to verse 12. Wealth and honor come from who? You, him, God. You are the ruler over all things. In your hand is strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Did you notice how he gave God praise at the beginning and the end of that? Let's be thankful. Let's be thankful for what God has given. David doesn't sound, he, David, David's not struggling with guilt about his wealth, and he was a wealthy guy. He's giving God praise for it and seeking how, God, do we use this, knowing that it all came from you. It all comes from him, and we're blessed. And what we say around here is this, we are blessed to be a what? Yeah, we are blessed to be a blessing to others. Many ways that this is played out here, and, and, again, why we want you to live on margins so that you can live on mission and have a plan so you can live with purpose is, is we, we have had so many amazing opportunities to see that work out in in our lives as we continue to bless people from the blessing that we have. When when we acknowledge that we are wealthy, when we acknowledge that we are rich, and then we make a plan and we live on purpose, when we create some margins so we can live on mission, we can go make a huge difference in the world. Sometimes those differences, they look really small at first, but they're huge. Like, like one of the, the stories that I continue to love are, are these opportunities that we have. Like we're the only crazy people who are going the other way on the border, right? Like, like we, we go down to Mexico um, every year and, and we build houses or orphanages. And why? Because, because we, we've created some space where we say, this is important, we're gonna create this margin so that we can make this happen. And I'll tell you what never gets old. What never gets old is working with a family in a place like Mexico where a couple years ago, I, I just, this one just sticks out in my mind, there, there was a, a guy, he's got a family, a wife and two small children, and he wakes up every morning at like four o'clock in the morning and he jumps on a bus so that he can drive across town and work all day. And He doesn't get home till like seven o'clock or so at night. We rarely saw him because he was just working so that he could provide. He was working all day long to make his about between ten and thirteen dollars an hour. But he had managed somehow over the lo- several years preceding that to save up about five thousand dollars. I mean, imagine that when you're making ten to thirteen bucks a day, and he, he managed to save up five thousand dollars, so he could buy a lot right to 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 hopefully have a, a a future for his family and and so we we get there and we, we build a house. Uh, the house is smaller than my garage, but it's a place that has a roof to keep them dry and walls and doors to keep them safe, and a place that they can live and call home and, and I'll never forget. This happens every time we, we get to the end of the week And we all gather around And we get to hand the keys Of a house To a family And I gotta tell you That never ever gets old And this one in particular I remember because This guy literally This guy literally Goes to his knees And is just weeping And his wife just over and over and over again. It's just saying, gracias, Jesus. Gracias, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And we get to watch life change happen. But, but you don't have to go as far away as Mexico to see that. You can see it in our community. When, when we make space and we plan to live on purpose and we create margin to live on mission and we make a difference in people's lives and in people's families by just serving them in different ways or helping them with things that are really difficult and, 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 there's, and that's the church that we want to be is a place that makes a difference by going out and living on mission which doesn't mean that we just enjoy doing this is we enjoy going out And using our resources and the things that you as a church provide So that we can go out and make a difference in a world Because the world is a dark place People are hurting and people are in need And our job is to go out and not just meet physical needs Even though we get to do that But those are doorways into helping people see That people care That there's a God who loves them A God who wants a relationship with them And that life can be different if we'll let Jesus lead the way. We work with these pastors in Cambodia and Liberia and places where, man, they have nothing. They have nothing. One of our Cambodian pastor friends one time, when a couple of us were there, he was telling us how his daughter had a fever. And, And, you know, just American thinking, I'm like, well, just go to the store and get some Get some, you know, get some medicine. Just go to the store and, and, and get some Pedialyte, right? Get, help her fever come down, right? And they're like we, we, like, we don't even know what you're talking about. And so we said, like, just get some apple juice and water it down a little bit and give her some of that, right? Because she likes apples. And he's like, oh, well, that's way too expensive. And so we helped them get some of the stuff for them, but... What's amazing to me is in the midst of all that they go through and all their poverty, these people never complain. They, they never complain. Their, their contentment absolutely humbles me. And it just makes me remember this, folks. We, we don't need to feel guilty about being rich. We just need to get better at it. We need to be, get better. We need to learn how to be rich in God's economy. And the reality is I have I, been blessed by God. To, we've been blessed by God, every single one of us, to live in a place that, has, that is wealthier than 90% of the rest of the world. And it's because of that reality that we have an incredible privilege but also an incredible responsibility to resource the work of the kingdom of God in the world. Because we've been blessed to be a blessing. And the question is, what will you do with all that God has blessed you with? Will you just hold on to it tightly for yourself? Or will you, with a generous heart, learn to live open-handedly towards the God who gave it to you anyways, knowing and trusting and having faith that he is going to take care of everything? You see, people who are good at being rich are the ones who are willing to admit that they are rich, and then they become intentional about what they do with what God has given them. And those are the things we want to learn over the course of the next couple weeks. How do we be rich well and honor God with everything we have? Now, this morning in response to all of this, maybe we just need to realize we need to surrender to him. If you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, uh, today would be a great day for that. If you want to talk more about this, I'll I'll be sitting right down here. I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life. Because here's the one thing I know, is until you make Jesus Lord, and until you put him as master and Lord over all of your finances, you'll continue to have anxiety and struggle with it. But if you can put Jesus in charge, man, he will take care of everything. It won't be easy being rich is hard. But man, the incredible, incredible adventure it is to follow Jesus into the work of the kingdom. If your stuff has a grip on you, if you have financial anxiety or simply want, maybe, maybe this morning your, your surrender is, Lord, I want to surrender all of this to you so I can experience the peace and the good that you have for me. And maybe this morning, you just need to ask the Lord, Lord, will you give me a plan so I can live on purpose? Lord, will you help me create margins so I can live on mission with you? Because all of us need to surrender and let God do his work in our lives. Because God doesn't need anything from you. He wants everything for you. And that even includes in terms of finances. He's already proved that. He already proved it when he sent his son to the cross to die for us. And that's why around here every week we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We take communion together. So if you have one of these little things, um, if, if you didn't get one, there are all the little stations around if you need one. But we take communion here every week to remind ourselves that that Jesus paid an incredible price to forgive us of our sins so we could have freedom so that we could live under his direction and he could give us hope. So I wanna invite you to just take uh, the communion with me. This little teeny piece of bread is, um, it represents Jesus's body that was broken for us. And so let's take that together, remembering Jesus's sacrifice. And the cup, this little cup of juice, it reminds us of Jesus shed blood. Because Jesus shed his blood on the cross So that you and I could be forgiven And set free From the sins in our life So let's take that together And as we close Today with this next song I just want you to reflect On how good God has been to you I I, I don't want you to, to, to Walk away this morning Feeling the guilt of being rich I want you to walk away being grateful that you have a God who's blessed you. And maybe today while we're singing, maybe just take a moment and and, and just ask God to show you how you can be rich better. And then join us for next week as we uh, dive a little bit deeper into how we make that happen. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father. God, thank you for a building where... We've got sound and air conditioning and lights and all these amazing things. And we come together every week, Father, freely to worship. And thank you, Father. Father, thank you for all the things that you have given to us. Father, thank you for the way you have, like, resourced us so incredibly well. Even when we don't feel like we have much. We know, God, that in comparison to the world, Lord, we are just crazy blessed. And so, Father, would you help us? Father, would you help me learn to be better at being rich? To be able to pass on the riches of your love, the riches of your forgiveness, the riches of your grace, the riches of your provision. And would you help us to live your plan so we can live with you on purpose. We love you, Lord, and thank you in the powerful name of Jesus, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.